Hello everybody, welcome to Aya Command. This is TV Boy and we are starting something new here on the channel. We're going to be doing a weekly chat. Um, some may call it a podcast, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be putting this up on Apple or iTunes or any of that yet, but it will be up on the channel. And it's going to be kind of a weekly um, discussion with uh, members of the community. Um, hopefully maybe a, a co-host at some point, but uh, whoever I can um, convince to come on and talk to me about Imperial Assault and IACP and all that uh, once a week, I think it'll be really good to uh, be touching bases with the touching base with the community um, every week, so I can get also announcement announcements out to people, but also so we can kind of have like a, a weekly discussion about a certain topic that we're going to talk about, um, whatever that may be. So for this week, I am joined by a wonderful guest, uh, Wesley. Wesley, say hello. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I also go by the second flock. But yeah, what's going on? Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, hey, everybody. TV Boy here. And I'm recording this after I wrapped up, about a day after I wrapped up recording with Wesley. Um, and I'm just recording a little preamble here because I wanted to kind of clear up them, clarify some things. Um, so this first episode of this podcast was pretty IACP focused just because we were talking about season seven and I hadn't really gotten the um, show notes put together completely like all the things that I want to do during an episode this is this is a trial run so we're just kind of testing things out but I do want to say that this podcast is meant to have a broader scope than just IACP I want it to encompass all aspects of Imperial Assault the idea is to talk about topics of imperial assault that i don't have time anymore to edit videos about but that i still want to get out get ideas out to the community and like educate people on things um and in lieu of built on hope putting out regular episodes i want to have a regular podcast going out into the world so that the imperial assault community can be kept in the loop on important timely developments for the game and to include uh, community voices in this discussion that are outside of the IACP steering committee. Um, and again, I do want this show to encompass more than just IACP. It will talk about, we will talk about a lot about IACP for sure. I think that'll probably be, end up being the bulk of the content, but I want it to include content about other things. I'll be sure to include discussions related to campaign, app play. I want to spotlight a lot of community generated content outside of the IACP, especially for campaign. Um, this doesn't need to be a podcast that only pertains to ICP players or competitive players. It should be this should be something that is interesting to all Imperial Assault players. Um, and I also want to say I do plan to upload start uploading episodes to Apple Podcasts once we get it going. For now, it's just going to be on YouTube. Um, it is going to be an audio only, so I'm not going to do a lot of video components. Just it, it complicates the production side of things. Um, and then one more thing, I. I mentioned later in this episode that we're looking for um, ideas for names for the show. And I want to say that after, you know, about a day thinking about it really hard looking, I decided I really need to be the one who's deciding on what the show is going to be called. I want it to be something that correctly represents my brand and also is recognizable to players. So after going through a lot of ideas, I actually have settled on a name. Um, the show will be called the Rebel High Command Cast. <laughs> And uh, so the reason for that is that, uh, you know, it's recognizable as a card name to, so Imperial Assault players will recognize the name uh, as being from the game. Rebel High Command, of course, is a skirmish card 
uh, that draws you an extra card. It also importantly has that command word in it to represent the channel name. Um, and it's pretty snappy. Rebel High Command Cast is, is snappy enough. Um, I consider a lot of other ideas. Zillow Cast, uh, End Around Radio, Heart of Freedom Radio, but um, Rebel High Command Cast ended up being the one I thought uh, best represented what I wanted it to. Thanks for listening to that. I hope that um, clarifies things and keeps you guys interested in what's coming in the future. And enjoy this episode. We did a really good one with uh, Wesley talking about IACP Season 7. So... Wesley, also known as Second Flock, I think on Discord you go by Second Flock, right? And pretty much everywhere. Um, so he, nice. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Um, so Wesley, I think uh, you're you're pretty new to the the project, right? To ICP. Yeah, I joined. I think around December of last year. Uh, kind of found out about it as my friends and I kind of started getting back into it a little bit. We played some campaign, and I wanted to get a little further, played a few skirmish games, and then I found this project, and my friends were not uh, really into going deep into the competitive side of this, but I was. So I watched some videos, looked at some, uh, you know, read up on what was going on here. I think it was the middle of season six playtesting, and so I got to run through a game um, with Herbie, who was my first opponent. And since then, I joined a couple competitive leagues and have done some tournaments, and it's been a lot of fun. Nice. So you joined ISCP kind of around the same time you got into Imperial Assault then, huh? Or maybe just a few months later? No. Uh, no. Um, we got into Imperial Assault originally back in 2014 or 2016, several years ago. It was oh. just a game my friend had. He introduced me to it. We played a few campaigns. I think we... We experimented with Skirmish a little bit, just the one friend that owned it and myself around the time Java's Realm was out. Um, and I think we kind of fell off of that. And then four or five years later, we find out about the app campaign, try a few of those. And that's kind of what got us back into it a second time after that hiatus. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that happens to a lot of people. I know I definitely, that happened to me. I came in in like Twin Shadows. And then took a hiatus after Bespin Gambit and came back after Heart of the Empire, like, came out and uh, was more interested after after that. Um, cool. Is there anything else um, you want people to know about you, like, um, in terms of, like, where you're at or do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I do have my YouTube channel. It's also the second flock. Uh, maybe one day I'll post some more videos on there again. But there's plenty of... Uh... Plenty of content from when I was a teenager is still up on there. So if you want to watch a guy embarrass himself at 15, you can go ahead for a decade ago. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I've, I've, I definitely noticed you when you arrived on the, in the project because you have a very analytical mind. You were posting a lot of, like, rules questions and just, like, well, how does this work? Why does this work type of questions that... Um, you know, when when you weren't uh, giving me an, an aneurysm, I, it was really forcing us to, like, rethink things or, like, look at things deeper. So I, I really appreciated the uh, what you were bringing to the project when you first joined and, and what you still bring to it. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I always had that kind of math-based or analytical mindset. Uh, I actually do, you know, my real work is uh, in the field of, like, programming, project management kind of stuff, and... You know, there's a lot of like, okay, wording matters a lot here, and I like playing a lot of different board games, and we, we always get into the deep rolling discussions when we do play them on how things are supposed to play out. 
So it's like, yeah, I'm used to looking very technically at how each aspect works, and then when I see things that don't kind of make sense, I'm like, oh, well, these guys that are easily accessible are the authorities here. How does this work? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even before you came on, we, we always agonized over wording and templating and making sure everything's correct and works correctly, but um, you brought even more, a deeper analysis and scrutiny to cards that we hadn't done. Um, so that was good. We got, we caught a lot of stuff and got stuff fixed after you joined. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I remember even with season seven, I found that thing with a electro hammer purge troopers mm -hmm. where they can hit large figures for free. You guys had to decide if you wanted to keep that in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, well, let's get into, I'm going to do some housekeeping here. We're going to talk about uh, upcoming events and some announcements and things to keep for people to keep track of, and then we'll kind of go into our main topics. So, uh, important announcement, uh, Season 7 Community Vote has just wrapped up. Uh, results are going to be posted on Monday morning, uh, so it's going to be September 5th for those listening to this. I'm hoping to get this posted by Sunday, so hopefully um, this will be relevant to people still. Uh, the Season 7 Competitive Vassal League, which is free to join, will be starting Week 1 pairings on Monday, September 5th. So sign up for that ASAP if you haven't already. Um, I believe late signups are still will still be possible during Week 1. You just have, need to contact Derek. Um, you might have to take a loss if you sign up late, but if you if somebody else signs up late, you could probably get paired up with them. And at least you'll be in the league. And that's a lot of fun. Um, that's a six-week league with a cut to top eight after six weeks and you get one game every week and it's again totally free uh, to enter and a great way to get some games in and then we also have the season seven free vassal tournament coming up on september 10th um, and that one's special because that again free to play you just need vassal and discord um, you need to be in the icp discord which there, there's a link in the description of this video as always and the winner will get a fully professionally printed set of Season 7 deployment cards on high-quality cardstock mailed to them directly from the printer service. So make sure you sign up for that. Um, the player meeting and the pairings will be starting at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And then finally, my, my last announcement is that if you haven't been checking it out, I've been posting daily mini-articles mini on the IA Command forums, which I'll link in the description of the video. Um, in the they're in the IACP category with there's both IACP card of the day articles and IACP list of the week articles with one list per week for each faction and um, these are lists that have been played in actual competition by actual players they're not theoretical and they're lists that have uh, winning records so they won more games than they lost um, when they were played and so it's a great way to if you're especially if you're new to iscp and you're looking for ideas for what lists look like um this is a great way to kind of get into it gradually and, and look at some lists that are featured um these are all from season six competitive play um, we'll start posting season seven lists as we get them uh from approved the approved uh period but uh yeah and then the card of the day is another great way for people to get into iscp and learn about the cards that way um, Wesley, did you have anything you wanted to uh, announce or anything that I you think I missed? Yeah, I just think it'd be uh, first great if you put the link to that form in the description. I don't know if you mentioned that, but that would be I'm sure great to draw new people to it. Mm -hmm. um, second, we should probably make a mention about the Reddit being back up. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Um, the the what is it? It's 
our Imperial Assault TMG. Yep, our Imperial Assault, our slash Imperial Assault TMG, the larger Imperial Assault subreddit that had, I think, over 10,000 members. Uh, that went down for almost, I think, over a month and has recently come up uh, last week, I think it came back up, or maybe two weeks ago. And so that is back in service, so people can use that. And um, also, just a self-plug, I'm actually a moderator now of that subreddit, which previously had no moderators from the community. Uh, so along with myself with a few other people are now moderators, so we're going to make sure that that subreddit stays up, stays active, and we're not going to let anybody take it down again. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Wesley. All right, so... Moving through here, um, so this is like our first, my first episode of this, and again, I'm just experimenting. Um, I'm hoping to keep this a regular thing, and um, we'll do like segments, but I think for this first episode, we're just going to kind of jump into the main topic here. So main topic, Wesley, uh, is season seven. We just had the playtesting period wrapped up uh, last week. The community vote just wrapped up yesterday. We had an extended community vote due to some clerical errors on my part. Um, and it looks like everything is going to be approved. Um, nothing is being disapproved based on what I'm seeing uh, in the pending results. So what do we think about Season 7? Where did it end up being? Like, where where did the cards land? Um Let's talk about it, because we do have a, the tournament coming up, and we've got the league coming up. So what do we think is going to be played? What are your thoughts? I know this is kind of a broad topic, but, I mean, it's it's the topic at hand. It's timely for people to... The people are thinking about Season 7. The cards are still pretty fresh, pretty new. Some of them are still, like, just got updated in 7.3 about a month and a half ago. So, sorry, I'm rambling. But what what do you think, Wesley, about Season 7? Yeah, um, I mean, I think there were a lot of interesting new cards added to the plate, and uh, new interesting abilities tacked on to older cards um, to refine them, make them more playable. I think if you were to look at Season 7 and ask what the face for each faction was, what we're probably going to see a lot of from here is Cad Bane from Scum, Leia from Rebels, and I would say both Grand Inquisitor and the Purge Troopers in the Imperial side. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. Um, looking at the cards here, I think you're right. I think Leia, Leia is definitely still pretty powerful. Um, Inquisitor is interesting. I feel like he's solid, but I feel like people are a lot higher on him than I am currently. Um, I think it's because he helps enable that Imperial Hunters archetype or Imperial Force users. Yeah, that's true. And there there are more hunters available now. He's got Mara as a hunter in Empire. I've seen lists with BT. Um, and then, of course, the Purges, the new Purge uh, Troopers and Purge Commanders are available to him as well. Mm -hmm. um, looking more at it, uh, I think... Let's see. Yeah, Cad Bane is interesting. I, I think we're going to see... A good mix of HKs and hired guns. Um, right. Just, I think HKs are just a very popular unit for people who kind of like that old school feel of a double figure generic hunter unit in their scum lists. 
And then um, hired guns, they just kind of fit really well into lists. I've been doing some list building recently with Scum, and I just like, oh, hired guns, they just kind of fit in there, and they have, you know, smuggler trait fits, and black market works nice with, nice with them, focusing them. Yeah, that's true. I think I'm a little more lukewarm on the hired guns just because they don't have that hunter trait, but I think you're right that they are probably worth it in a lot of those scenarios because they're you get two of them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the other things you can do at four or five points, you don't get two of them for. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, uh, so there's a lot of scum, I should mention, that scum got a bit more of a focus this season to make up for some shortcomings in previous seasons. Um, so there's a lot, there's kind of a lot of filler. Like you said, Cad Bane is really good just in any hunter list. Um, I think... Terran and the Rancor are interesting, but a little more niche. Uh, I think Agreed. they're both solid, but you have to like kind of build your list to really get use out of their abilities, as we've been talking about on Slack recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Terran is like, if you want to build Scum Force users, you put in Terran. And if you don't, you probably didn't bring Terran. Um, whereas the other Scum Force users fit into a lot of other things. And uh, Rancor, you know, obviously feels like, especially with that recent discussion on him, we saw, yeah, you basically need to build around the Rancor if you want to play him to his maximum potential. And I think if you want to bring a Rancor, that's typically what you want to do here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's kind of always been like that, too, with the Rancor. You, just, you have to build your command deck around him, at least. Um, you have to bring Beast Tamer. Um, but now you just have to bring, like maybe Lothcats or Jawas. I would I would hope we see some Rancor action. I know people, a lot of people were playing him in playtesting, and he was a lot of fun for people. Um, I've been list building with him, trying to figure out how to combine him with, like, elite Lothcats, that, that old Lothcat missile list, and then have Rancor coming up as the second punch, and then have the Wampa come up <laughs> with Lion Ambush as the third punch. Um, really fun to build uh, creature lists around the Rancor right now. Yeah, yeah, it does make it a lot of fun. Um, I just hope one day we can get an improved Panther Rider and have a double, <laughs> double creature list coming at you. Yep, double queens. Um, and then we should mention. Um, I think Luke's gonna get a lot of play, especially with Leia. Um, with heir to the Jedi. Yeah, I, I think part of that is that Leia is very strong with both force users and outside of force users so we should be seeing more of her but in force users both luke's got that update this season uh, seven point luke got much more powerful and i think the reason to bring 10 point luke would be more so you want a brawler on your side and you're building that kind of list uh, but we should see them because they do seem very powerful in unison together yeah i was gonna say not so not counting Leia in the discussion, because I, I think she goes better with 7-point Luke. Um, but which, uh, which Luke Skywalker do you think is stronger now between the two of them? I haven't actually played Luke this season. Um, I think people would use 10-point Luke before, but I think that 7-point Luke is going to be a lot better in a lot of situations. Unless you specifically want Brawler's I think 7-point Luke, with the being a ranged Force user, I feel is kind of a big deal. 
on top of just all the bonuses he gets to his attack now and the fact that he can do his own rerolls. And that supportive reroll is going to be big for a lot of lists, I think. Yeah, and just to mention, the so Jedi Luke got a buff in that he can now reroll on attack, which is big for him. Um, as can, I mean, a hero 7-point Luke gained, the, gained that as well. But uh, having that reroll for Jedi Luke makes him so much more reliable on his damage output. Um, so I think that yeah I think that'll be interesting to see uh, who we see, and I should mention that with you know with the community being what it is, um, we've, we're pretty tight knit, so we got a lot of people who show up uh, as repeat uh, participants. A lot of it will be based on just personal preference rather than like oh this is this is stronger because it showed up and this isn't because it didn't show up. So. Um, it's all based on like what people, what the people who are playing are interested in playing, because there's a lot of options. Yeah, that's true. Most often, when I go to the Rebel Force user side of things, I tend to want to put Jedi Luke in the list, uh, but I still respect that. I think there's a lot of room for Hero Luke, and I think even more so than Jedi Luke. It's just my preference tends to lead me towards that ten point guy. Yep, and then we also have Zeb, who's been doing pretty good this season um, since he got his updated ability. Um, it's interesting with Zeb because when you look at him at the end of the season compared to his like unaltered version, he's pretty similar to where he started. I mean, Lasat Honor Guard often, I think it only has a, has a 33% chance to trigger on a two-dice attack, and it has a 50% chance to trigger on a 50 on a three dice attack um, because you have to roll a die with a single side showing so you can alter it. Um, so often his ability doesn't even trigger and he's just kind of feels like his original version, but he still does been doing really good. Yeah. I, I think it's not so much about the percentages as it is about the fact that um, he used to sometimes roll pretty low and people didn't like that. But now Anytime he does roll an anemic or even with focus, maybe an okay damage amount, he's going to be able to buff that quite a bit. And I heard you guys grab this ability from the campaign mode, right? Yeah, we took it off of the uh, punch dagger. Yeah. Uh, from... um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we. I recently have been playing some more campaign with some of the people from the community, and I recently also discovered punch dagger. Uh, and then about a month later is when we saw that transfer to Zeb, and I thought that that was really cool seems to be exactly the kind of thing he needs yeah and i find it works better with zeb than it does in the campaign i think there was like i think the punch dagger has like a double surge or something crazy um but i remember using the punch dagger in campaign and either it was like devastatingly powerful or it completely whimpered out with like two damage because of the way the dice rolled where you couldn't alter it but you didn't have enough surges to trigger the surge ability um but with Zeb, it works really nicely where you're either rolling high, medium, or high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no low rolls. Yeah. So that makes him a very nice guy. Um, and plus he's able to move eight and attack still if if you're not in range to get into the attack with the first move. Yeah. So I think that's always been a part of him, but it's a nice part of him. Yep, um, let's see, and then we have Saw, who's been a little more niche this format, uh, this season, 
Um, he did get that big update where he has that kind of heavy fire built-in ability. Um, I think he's another one where you kind of have to build around a little bit. Um, like, you can put him in any list as a support, and that that ability to pitch a card to deal some extra damage, like area of effect damage, is not, like, ever going to be completely unappreciated in any given list. But I think if you build around other area of effect things, like Rebel Sabs and Drakata and Heavy Fire, he, he works really well with that type of list archetype. I think he also works in any kind of list where you're having two or three figure activations. Um, like, let's say you have an activation and you leave somebody at one, two, or three health. Uh, if you have the command cards and you next activate your Alliance Rangers or something else with two activations, you just run up and shoot off the attacks. No matter what you do on your actual attack, you're going to get that extra kill from that guy you left alive. Right. Um, and he also combos with, uh, another card from season seven, uh, punishing strike. If you bring him in a scum list, I've seen that used to some good effect with brutal tactics. Since, uh, when you defeat somebody, you can have another figure become weakened. So you use punishing strike to change that weaken into a stun and it can be pretty disruptive to the opponent. Yeah, I will say, um, I think Brutal Tactics is one ability that tends to be forgotten a lot when people use Saw. And I think it's it's good that in his earlier iteration, his other ability didn't seem to either have too many opportunities to trigger or people would forget when they could use it. Uh, but I think Wonton Destruction is something you actively put in the list to use or you're thinking about when you're attacking. So I feel that this final version of him definitely has... You know, even if you're going to forget your brutal tactics, you are always going for that wanton destruction. Right. Um, right, yeah, you kind of you put it in the list for that. The, the previous version was he gave all figures, all friendly figures, gained Surge for Blast 1 or Surge for Cleave 1, depending on their attack type. And now you yeah. can, whenever a friendly figure attacks, you can discard one command card to choose two figures other than the defender within two spaces of the target space, those figures suffer one damage. So kind of similar to heavy fire, but it costs a command card instead of uh, taking conditions. Um, let's see, kind of going through here. I think we talked about most of the cards. Let's see. Talked about punishing strike, which is actually pretty good if you can if you have one point and you've got any figures that like deal weaken or bleed or something like um, HK forty seven it's really good with him mm -hmm. and with the HKs too since they search for weaken you can convert that into a stun um let's see oh the the purges so I kind of touched on them but um, purge commander and the purge trooper. Um, I think the Purge Troopers are going to see some play since they're Brawler Hunters. Um, and the Purge Commander just keeps pop, will probably pop up here and there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do see Purge Commanders a little more niche. Maybe you want to run them in your Hunters lists, but uh, in my experience, I don't know how easy it is to line up that free reroll too often with the line of sight with multiple figures. But the troopers, uh, they are just great because they have so many abilities that help them do what they're trying to do for their point cost. But more importantly, they have 
all of those nice good stuff traits that you want to have on a figure so there's so many lists that run them and they've been an inspiration for me trying to build too many lists that have way too many command point cards you know you just there's no way to fit in all of the good trooper hunter brawler and force user cards in a list uh, but purge troopers make me want to very much yeah um and for those who are interested all of these cards you can find them on um tabletop admiral which is classic.tabletopadmiral.com slash imperial assault and you can now find the form cards as well and the loadouts so all three loadouts for the purge trooper you can view them in tabletop admiral same for the forms for the claudites which were previously unavailable um for the purge trooper i think it'll be interesting to see how many uh how many generics we start seeing and whether that on the hunt ability is relevant or not because that's what i found when i was playing them when i tried them out in playtesting i think i played ended up playing them against like scum lists with hks and hired guns and stuff and it was just like oh i don't have anything to target that's unique because all the unique stuff's in the back yeah i can definitely put a, a damper on the plans but on the other hand a lot of your a lot of your non-uniques tend to be on the lower point cost side or a little weaker, so maybe you don't necessarily need as much of that damage, but that two movement spaces definitely is uh, an important part of this. Um, but I think if that's what you're going up against, maybe you just say that they need to be Electro-Staff to make up for that loss of movement points you're going to get. You're going to get Reach instead. Yeah, so and I... be the counterpoint there. Yep, and I think... I think for a lot of people, Electro Staff is now the default because it has that reach ability. Um, I think they're pretty well balanced, though, because like you do get a decent amount of extra damage from Electro Batons if you're fighting against like squishy uh, figures that don't have a lot of defense. Uh, and then the Electro Hammer. Uh, the Electro Hammer, I think you would probably bring it mostly against large figures for the, what you were talking about earlier, because you can, um, the splash damage will hit a large figure because it's occupying a space adjacent to itself. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe with like a, against a box list, you would bring it against that as well, which are lists yeah. that like to like huddle around a central support figure that's giving them all the figures a buff. Um, but yeah, I think Electro Staff has become the default. Right. I mean, Electro Hammer is also the only one that surges for plus two, so I appreciate that to, uh, I think that kind of bring, that kind of brings it in line so that, you know, if it seems kind of boxy, this might be a really good option. But I do agree with Reach on the Electro Staff, making it the, the default, let's go here, faction, or, uh. Yeah, I think I do think if you come up if you're playing purge troopers and you come up against like a knight list, which is like knight with a K, which is either a scum or a rebel list, which has a bunch of like six to eight point figures and they don't have any like innate defense boosts, uh, I think and they're all unique. Then I think the electro batons make sense um, because you do get the free movement from on the hunt to attack a unique figure. And then you're getting that extra attack, which is usually against an unmodified defense dice. And I think that's going to be like your maximum damage output. But um, the Electro Staff makes sense against Queen Pieces, and the Electro Batons, I think, makes sense against 
those boxy lists and large figures. Yeah. Or I mean, uh, I would also say anytime they, your opponent is sporting a lot of white dye, definitely the Electro Batons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because either they're going to whiff or they're going to dodge and then you have the deadly ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And uh, real quick on them, they are also different than the Claudites in that you can bring multiple of the same loadout, correct? Yes, that's true. So if you bring two Purge Troopers, you can bring two of the same loadout. Um, the difference being that you can't swap loadouts mid-game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing we didn't talk about was uh, Smuggling Compartment. So this is the one-point upgrade that lets you hide, hide away your command cards for an instant to dodge hand disruption. And also lets you dig through your deck and move cards around from the top and the bottom. Um, I think we'll see this a good deal. I think this has done good work in enabling um, some of the queen piece lists to come back that were a little bit having a hard time against spies. So stuff like Luke with Son of Skywalker, IG-88 with Blaze, um, maybe even Vader could see it. Could see it played with Vader with. Uh, to protect those parting blows from getting snatched away. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Smuggling apartment, um, compartment, even if your opponent's not playing something that's going to disrupt your hand, it's such a good scry card, mm-hmm. too. Like, I think it's worth a point whether or not you use that top half of the card. Um, and if you can use that top half, it might be worth two or even two and a half points in your list. Or even more, just because it's so good at protecting your hand. So I think if you have a free point, it's one of the best options you can take in a list at this point. Especially mm. if your command cards are highly valuable to you. Yeah, I think if you're very spoke- uh, focused on like specific command cards and getting those as soon as possible, then smuggling compartment's a really good way. So like you mentioned scry, being that's a term from magic where you can manipulate and move around the cards from the top and bottom of the deck without actually drawing. And I think that's an important point of this card is that it lets you dig down deeper into your deck quicker without actually putting extra cards into your hand, uh, which was a really important balance, balance issue for us because there's already so much card draw in the game. Um, filling up people's hands and it's also very dangerous to um, be giving Empire extra card draw where they can put extra cards in their hand because of Zillow technique so um, smuggling compartment really good way to get those cards that specific card you're looking for faster and then to protect it from uh, spies yeah you can also use it to hide cards at the bottom of your deck for later uh, during playtesting, I had a game where I v- revealed the top card to myself. It was take initiative, but I was about to get initiative anyway, so I threw that to the bottom, didn't need it, and because of that, I drew a couple more cards that I did need in that round. And then come the end of that round, I smuggling compartment again, and without realizing, I see the bottom card is still take initiative. Mm-hmm. And so I slide that to the top and take initiative for a second round in a row. And it just felt like cheating. That's how good it was. <laughs> Um, yeah, a lot of fun tricks with that ability. Um, took us a long time to figure out what that second ability should be, but I really like that one. 
Um, anything else we want to mention? Uh, I should mention uh, Reduce to Rubble. So for heavy weapons. We kind of talked about that with Saw. Um, but they also got this neat little card, uh, two point, that sends out a bunch of rubble tokens. And deals a bunch of uh, one damage AoE effect damage to everyone within two spaces. Yeah, I mean, I, I played it once or twice. I think it's a, a good card. I played it when we tested it at one, and it feels like it's definitely a two-point card. Um, I saw that maybe the usage on this isn't as high as you wanted it to be, but I think that just kind of means that heavy weapons finally have enough cards to where they have to pick things. <laughs> um, but it seems like a very good card and a very fun card. I think when I run heavy weapons, I try to find ways to fit this in. Just because... Filling the battlefield full of rubble tokens is just such a fun thing. Messing up everyone's day. Yeah, it makes a nice little blue 3x3 uh, square on the battlefield of rubble tokens. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Alright, well, any uh, any other thoughts on, on cards we haven't touched on or archetypes that might be enabled by uh, Season 7? Well, there uh, is Savage Vigor. Um, I know at the beginning of the season I thought this was really weak, but I've come to use it uh, a handful of times, and it no, it's it's pretty strong. It's really good. I'm just not a person who ever went and used Iron Will in the first place, uh, being kind of what this card is kind of based around. I think Savage Vigor is very good at weakening that damage that your big guy is going to take, especially if it's the Rancor, because this works on creatures. Uh, and if I were to make a list with Taro and his Dewback Boys, I think I might consider bringing this as well. Yeah, so Savage Vigor, two points for any creature, um, removes all of the attack dice from the attack pool except for two dice of the attacker's choice. <coughs> Excuse me, pretty strong um, defensive card. Um, I was actually building a list though, and I, I was building a creature list, and I just was realizing like I just want all offense, and so I think it's definitely a card that you can take or leave. But if you are looking for like defensive cards for your creatures, I think it's pretty darn good one for especially for the points cost. Mm -hmm. And looking through these command cards, um, lure the dark side. Lure of the Dark Side. I think this one is going to see quite a bit of play. I think you guys have finally hit a good strike of what's what it needed to be without letting it just be off the walls crazy with how infinite that range was at the beginning. Yeah, so Lure of the Dark Side, that was a three-point card. Um, people who have the core set will be familiar with the original card, which was you choose a hostile figure within three spaces. Three spaces? Yeah, three spaces yeah. and perform an attack with it. Um, pretty simple card, but it just didn't make sense to like convert your action into another um, attack into another figure attacking, and you're giving up three points and a command card to do that. So we updated it, and the current one is you can choose it. Um, so first of all, the figure you choose it gets two damage tokens, power tokens, to spend. Um, and then, of course, when you attack with that figure, you get to spend one of those power tokens. Um, and then you have to choose... Oh, and then after it attacks, it suffers two strain. But the uh, the new update is you can choose any hostile figure in your line of sight. So it's infinite range now on who you can choose. 
However, the attacker can only attack a target within four spaces of themselves. So that limits it a little bit where you're not doing these crazy, like, like you said, infinite range to the figure that's going to attack and then infinite range to some other friendly figure that totally catches the opponent off guard. Now, if you're playing against Lure of the Dark Side, or if you're playing against a scum or imperial force user list um you shouldn't realize that any of your figures that the opponent can get line of sight to could be attacking one of your other figures within range four and so i think that gives people enough of a concrete number to play around it so they know like okay well i'm going to keep this guy i don't want this guy attacking my other guy so i'm going to keep them five spaces apart that's yep sort of thing. and they and I think that being in action helps balance how crazy powerful this can be. Yeah, I think uh, that was always an action. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and I think people didn't like it because it was an action before, because it didn't do enough. Mm, yeah. But now if it if we just took the action out of this, it would be way too strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we played around, I think we played around that, that internally, and it just did not work. It, it had to stay in action for it to yeah. be an attack. Um but yeah, I think it's a good uh, keystone card now for Scum and Imperial Force users. I think the really thing that was really broken about it at the beginning was that companions could use it, which meant the the child could use it. And so yeah. that was really uh, a bit of a imbalance in that there was no opportunity cost there. Like when you're doing it with your six or seven point figure, it's there's a a cost to giving up an action with that much points but you know the child's actions are one point so um yeah do we want do we want to so there's we could talk more about season seven but we should also move into the other thing that happened with this season which was the removal of the mandalorian mm. yeah so yeah, for those, go to that. yeah for those that don't know um when we announced the season seven community vote, we the uh, steering committee we we did a focused play test for four weeks with Mando at twelve points instead of ten, um, and he was looking a little more balanced, but we were seeing still people were just pulling off crazy shenanigans with him, uh, just super powerful, way more powerful than other 12, 13 point figures in the game, the things that he could do that no other figure could do, um. His win rate also started to creep up towards the end of that um, thing, towards like the 65%, which was another indicator that people were figuring out how to play him. I mean, if you don't know how to use him, he's already feels strong. And then once you know what he can do and what command cards to bring and how to use his abilities to their maximum efficiency, he just gets kind of insane. So with that um, in mind, the steering committee decided to put him on uh, indefinite hiatus that design uh, removed him from the project just felt it would be best for the game and for everyone involved if that particular version of the Mandalorian was no longer uh, allowed in competitive play and there is still another version from season 4 uh, so it's not like there's no representation for the character uh, and the season 4 version is uh, quite a bit of fun um, and a definitely a lot more balanced so um but I should mention that we will be keeping the Rising Phoenix Mandalorian. Um, we'll be keeping a version of him, a printable sheet where people can print it out. It'll say not legal for um, IACP competitive play, but people who like the design at least will still be able to go back and reference it and print it 
And I think we'll keep it in Vassal too, just with a big, uh, big sign on it that you're not supposed to play it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's a useful document to kind of have for the cards that get retired from IACP, like after that uh, probationary period when they fail. Um, like I have a friend that really liked them that Mando card, and we never had huge problems playing it. I would say, but I think that's more he would like to play it, and I actively play this game more often. But I think for a casual matchup like that, you're like, yeah, you can use them. That's fine. Um, but I think that it's probably best that we do remove him because he does just seem like there's, you know, he just didn't have a weakness. There was no holes in his armor. Yeah, it was tough. Um, normally during that last period of playtesting, I try to put up a, a bunch of videos of the cards in their final forms. Um, to showcase them to people so that people who don't get a chance to play can actually like make an informed decision But of course since we decided to do that focus play testing at the end with just all Mando like all I had were Mando games to put up and he, The things he was doing it was almost embarrassing to be, have to like put those videos up and be like yeah This is this is what's in IACP. This is what you can do or what you have to play against um, and so I think it's it was ultimately the best to uh, not have that be part of ICP anymore. Um, it was a good run. He had like what two, one and a half seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just too much. I mean, we could kept, we could have kept tweaking him and tweaking him. You know, he, but his design was already pretty simple, and it would have just required more and more play testing. Because um, otherwise, we're just throwing stuff at the wall. Uh, which is what, kind of what we did in the middle of season six, right? During the competitive side, we did that mid-season update where we, uh, I think we changed the spear dice from red yellow to green yellow, mm-hmm. and we removed the free clan of two up, uh, upgrade. Yeah, I think uh, that was right when I was, you know, in the heart of getting into it, and I discovered Doc Afra as a side note, and I think in that same patch, you guys upped a couple of command cards from one to two right about right as i was coming up with the idea on my own to like use those cards with afro we so did like, oh, darn i never got that chance yeah guild programming with afro was a bit nutty yeah yeah um but with mando i i do agree um and i think even lore wise i hadn't seen the show until we got into this part of the focus playtesting, and then I started to binge it around that time. And I saw some people say, you know, oh, well, his abilities on that card, and I don't want to get very specific, but his abilities don't even have that big of a deal with his character in some aspects. And after seeing everything there is so far on him, I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe even lore-wise, we didn't need some of these abilities to be here. So, like, maybe there's not as much justification for that second version of a character existing quite yet. Yeah, I think um, I think what ultimately got us was when Mark brought up his experiences on Slack, and he pointed out that playing against Mando is basically an exercise of which of my figures will be deleted before I get to do anything, and then how do you fight back with with one less figure than the opponent, basically. And I was like, yeah, that pretty much checks out with our with what I've seen how. It, how it feels to play against Mando, and uh, it's a, it was a good argument for that it's not healthy to have him in the game. 
Yeah, that actually had come from the game that we had played the night before he posted that. Mm -hmm. um, basically, I was running Mando HKs, and he was able to take out two of my HKs in an activation. He had some seven or eight attackers, and I was starting to get worried, but then I put a fuel upgrade on Mando, sent him deep into enemy territory, and at first I declared a... Beskar Spear on his HK-47, thinking, okay, well, I gotta take out this big guy. But I thought about it for a second, looked at all the stuff Mando could do, and instead I declared it on one of his full health Tuskins, got the kill on the Tuskin, and then proceeded to do the main attack on the HK and also get the kill. And that was, that's 18 damage in a turn. Yep. Yeah, and I've noticed, I know, I... His spear attack, even though it's just two dice, um, if you focus him, it's pretty rare for it to do less than seven damage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's going to be um, a big weight off of the meta. I think it's going to open up a lot more list-building avenues, especially for scum lists, where previously it was kind of starting to feel like, well, my, list, my scum list kind of has to start at 11 points with mando and then <laughs> and then eight to ten points on the back end with you know java or bib or rebel care package so what am i doing with the uh remaining 20 points basically um, yeah that's true and it'll be a big pressure off of the rest of the the other two factions uh that we're having to deal with him so yeah um okay and uh, maybe other mando will see more play now Yes, and actually I have seen that. Um, there has been a major uptick in the logs that have come, have come after we announced that Rising Phoenix Mando was being removed. We've seen a lot more uh, regular Mando being played. Um, I think people are just like, I think it's the people that had Mando, <laughs> Rising Phoenix Mando in their list, are like, well, let's try this one instead and you know, <laughs> use the extra points for like a Jawa or extra uh, upgrade cards. Um, and he's a lot of fun. Um, he's, his flamethrower is really interesting. He has a lot of cool combos you can do with to the limit off of the flamethrower to attack. Mm -hmm. And then if you bring clan of two, you get to remove the stun from to the limit. Um, he's still a mm -hmm. hunter. He's very satisfying to play against Zillow technique with his, uh, rifle. Because if they try to do the trick where they leave it at one health left with a block, they die anyway. Um, and if they if they're gonna die, uh, with if they were if they would live with one health, they still have to discard to Zillow to live with two health. Otherwise, they'll die to the rifle. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I think he, that's really cool. Yeah, he's an interesting figure. He's a little slow, and I think that's the only thing. But he's he's a hunter with a long range attack. So, um, if you can get around, if you can give him some extra movement, he does really well with a flamethrower and attack and stuff like that. Yeah, he feels more like a knight and less like a queen at this point, and I think that's it's good. He's a good figure. Okay, so um, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, for next one, actually, uh, if you guys want to leave a comment or if you send us an email at iacommand01 at gmail.com, uh, we're going to include, uh, or I'm going to include a uh, section where I read a listener comment or email. You can send a question or you can leave a feedback or comment, whatever you like. Um, I'll read it. We'll read it in the next podcast episode. 
and we'll see where we go from here. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy this kind of uh, audio, just audio discussion of cards. I know this is this one's probably a little more uh, for enfranchised players um, because it's about new cards. But I think for future episodes, we'll probably talk about things like basic strategy. Maybe we'll do like map overviews. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see what we can we can do with this format. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. All right. Um, I haven't really decided what to do for a sign-off. Um, also, we have to figure out what to call the show. I don't have a name we for this do. yet. <laughs> we don't have a name. Oh, maybe that's maybe that is your uh, question of the week for next week. Oh yeah, that's a people good one. suggestions. Okay, so people leave your suggestions, but also. Tell us what what we should call this podcast. Um, I had some ideas, but they all didn't quite really work. I was like, IA Continuity Cast? But that doesn't really uh, land. IA Command Cast, but there's so many Command Casts out there for magic. It's tough. IACP Podcast? Yeah, but it's uh, got to link back to the channel brand. Mm. you got to fit Imperial Assault in there somehow. Because oh, if you wait. don't put Imperial Assault in the name of your video or whatever, people just don't find it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. All I right. Mean, your your channel name is IAC, like IAC, you just need to put a P at the end there for <laughs> podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure you can workshop this a little more where the commenters can. So, um, Wesley, was, there. yeah, I know. Yeah. Was there anything, uh, else you wanted to talk about? Like Imperial Assault related or Star Wars related before we go? Uh, I mean, I could just say, uh, poor short troopers, they didn't get their drop to six and now they can't use call Vanguard. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot about the shores. Yeah. So short troopers, um, they can't do call the Vanguard, but I think reinforcements is going to be more useful for them um then call the vanguard because i think you want to be using call the vanguard with something else like Aiden or yeah. jets or heavy troopers or something yeah that's that's fine just uh the most i would say the least change to change in the whole season would be those shore troopers yeah um they were winning too much though uh six they were just i think they were still over 80 percent win rate mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy yeah if that's what it is, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I know there's a push to revisit them, so they will probably come back up in the future um, trying to get them right again, which is... Oh, I, I've got a, a one one other topic to uh, bring up. Yeah. When are we going to get more of your Imperial Assault villain campaign? Oh, yeah, that'll come um, once I'm all done with Season 7 stuff. And maybe when life calms down a little bit, I'll release more of that. It's just so so much time invested in Season 7 stuff. There's so much logistical stuff and administrative work that needs to be done. And maybe I can pass that along to somebody in the future. But uh, yeah, once Season 7 like competitive play gets into full swing and all the documents are not being updated anymore, I can actually open that up and look at it again. Yeah. I, uh, I've been getting back into campaign a little bit more recently, and I am 
looking forward to trying to run those two missions that you already have out. I think you have playtest surveys for them up as well. Is that correct? Yeah, everything's in a Google Drive folder. It's all linked in, there's like a subreddit thread for that. Um, and -hmm. if you go into the Google Drive, there's uh, surveys for each mission to let people say like, how balanced do they feel? What's uh, the issues? Yeah, that sounds good. Well, if you ever do more campaign content on this kind of podcast, uh, be I'd be down to join for that as well. I'm finding both halves of this game very exciting at this point. Yeah, we can probably we might do that. I'm not sure, but uh, I'll let you know if we do. All right, sounds awesome. All right, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, we'll see you in the next one. Make sure to leave those comments down below, and uh, we'll see you later. All right, bye.